Have you asked yourself the question this past week that David started the sermon series with? God is blank. Have you asked yourself that question? Have you answered it? We've gone through a couple of these. God is good. God is love. God is trustworthy. What's your answer? A.W. Tozer is the one that posed the question originally, and he says that the way you answer this question is going to tell you one of the most important things about yourself because it is going to tell you the most important thing you think about God. So what is the answer? God is mercy. God is grace. God is love. God is gracious. He is kind. He is good. He is constant. He is faithful. He is my redeemer, my deliverer, my sanctifier, my justifier. And the list goes on. This morning, I get the opportunity to talk to us about one that I think we rarely consider when we're filling in that blank. It is that God is self-sacrificing. We know it to be true, but I don't think it comes off our tongue very quickly that God is selfless. So this morning, the text that we're going to be using to pull out and talk about that divine attribute is Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading verses 4 through 11. So I want you to go ahead and turn in your scriptures to Philippians 2. Open up your apps. I'm going to be reading from the ESV this morning. It's going to be slightly different from that that's on the screen. When you get there, go ahead and stand with me, and after I finish reading, I want you to mark that spot in your scripture, not to close it, because we're going to continue to go back to that passage throughout the message this morning. So join me in honor of reading God's holy written word. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord Jesus, I fear that we rarely think of you as selfless and self-sacrificing, although we know it to be true. More than that, in our calling to be like you, selflessness isn't the first thing that comes to mind. So change our hearts. Realign our minds so that we will know you better, that we will love you more, so that we will reflect your selflessness and your glory into your world. Amen. You can be seated. I think for us to properly understand the passage that I just read in Philippians, we have to understand the setting. 
And I don't mean, I'm not referring to the fact that Paul is writing from a jail to the church at Philippi, but rather the setting that the Holy Spirit has superintended into Paul when he speaks of Jesus and his humility. And for me, the best place to try to take my mind to get it wrapped around what's actually taking place in Philippians chapter 2 is in the throne room. So I encourage you this morning, turn to Revelation chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading verses 2 through 11. Do your best. This is hard. But do your best to picture the throne room as I read it. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper. That's a red it's a red look, um, and, and, the, and carnelian is the other. It's a translucent red that appeared, that emanated from the one seated on the throne. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And I've learned this week that emeralds come in different hues. For To me, I couldn't picture a rainbow that was just green. But it's a rainbow that goes from an aqua yellow green all the way to the darkest green. And it emanates all the way around the throne. So picture the emerald rainbow around the throne and the one who's seated on it with this translucent, brilliant red that's emanating from him. And he goes on to say that around him are 24 thrones. And upon them are seated 24 elders who are dressed in white garments, unblemished untainted, unfading, brilliant white garments, and upon their heads are golden crowns. And from the throne come flashes of lightning. Can you see it? And peals and rumbles of thunder. Can you hear it? And before the throne, there are seven fiery torches burning, which represent the seven spirits of God. And the four living, and, and around the throne, sorry, and before the throne, there was a, a sea of glass as crystal. So you've got one seated on the throne in red, a brilliant emerald rainbow around him, flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, the, the elders around him in their brilliant white with their golden crowns, and a sea of glass like crystal. Furthermore, around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. The first living creature, like that of a lion. The second, like that of an ox. The third, like that of a human face. The fourth, like that of an eagle, flying. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. 
And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. That's the setting. When Paul says, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Can you imagine what took place when the co-equal, co-eternal God the Son stepped down off the throne? The one who was forever and ever? It's one of those... What's he, what's he doing? Where, where's he going? Why is he moving? What do we do? That was his place of honor. That is his place of honor. That is his place of glory. It is unquestioned and it is uncontested. And in his selflessness, he stepped down off the throne to take on the role of a servant. When the passage tells us that he was in the form of God, what that means is that he is the very essence of God. There is no hierarchy. He is God the Son, co-equal, co-eternal, all-powerful, almighty. But he didn't think of being God as something to be grasped, to be worked towards, to be stolen, to be taken, but rather he emptied himself. That emptied word, we've got to take just a second to walk through because there's a lot of heretical teaching that comes out of that. A lot of people say that he laid aside his deity and took on humanity. Brothers and sisters, this word emptied does not mean he quit being God. God never stops being God. God the Son never laid aside his deity. What it means is that he refused to insist upon his rights. He denied himself or didn't cling to his privilege as God the Son. What it means is that he refused to insist upon his rights as the one who was being worshipped. And so in that he took on human form. He did not lay aside his deity, but he added humanity to himself. Not sinful humanity, but sinless, perfect humanity. Humanity, So that in that moment, at one and the same time, God the Son was both fully God and fully human. And then he continues in his selfless act by taking on the form of a servant. Again, picture the throne room. He stepped down off the throne and became a servant. He didn't think about the fact that being selfless was beneath him. That he became a slave. 
the position of the lowliest of the low. It never never entered his mind that it was beneath him. There was no selfish ambition. There was no pride. Just selflessness in obedience to God the Father. He counted others more significant. And then he does the unthinkable. Not only is it a big enough deal that the eternal God steps down off his throne, takes on human flesh, becomes a servant, but then he does the unthinkable. God the Son dies. And more than that, he dies on the cross. The method that was saved for the despised, for the depraved, for the rejected, for the worst of the worst of humanity. He who did not have sin became sin for us in a redemptive act, restoring creation to its creator. And we are the beneficiaries of that act. We are the recipients of his selflessness. There is nothing that we did to earn this. We cannot merit it. It was just given to us. We benefit from it. It is something that God the Son determined, declared, and performed. His love and his mercy and his grace overflowing. More than that, his unconditional love. His limitless grace, his boundless mercy being displayed in his humility as he stepped down off the throne and hung upon a cross. You see, God's glory demanded the reconciliation of his creation to himself. God the Father, in conjunction with God the Son, foreordained that this was something that was going to take place, that creation would be reconciled to the Creator. That God the Son would do this through a selfless act. Here's the thing that Paul's telling us in this passage. We are to be like-minded. To have the same mind as our Redeemer, our selfless Savior. To do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but to consider others more significant than ourselves. And brothers and sisters, that is not something that we do naturally. It is not something that comes from our own volition. It happens when Christ lives in us and works through us. Remember, I said selflessness is a divine attribute. So only when we are abiding in Christ, when we are spending time with the Father, when we are listening for his calling on our lives, when we are approaching his word with the mindset that I want you to recalibrate my life through your words, Jesus, then we can begin to attempt to be selfless the way he has called us to be. Then we will say, Lord Jesus, change the way I receive what other people are saying. Allow me to have humility and grace. Change the way I see what's going on around me. Break my heart for the lost and the searching. Change the way I live my life, God. It's not until then that we live out his lordship. It's not until then that we reflect his selflessness into his world. 
It is a divine attribute. The world, on the other hand, the world tells us it's a loser's attribute that you can never win if you continue to put other people in front of you. I've got to step on who I've got to step on to get what I can get. That's how you win in this world. Go back to the throne room. If that had been his mindset, where would we find ourselves? We'd be the ones under the earth with our knees bowed, professing him as Lord, eternally condemned. That's the outcome of a selfish savior. But that is not who he is and that is not who we are called to be. We are called to be Christ followers, imitators of Jesus. It's not easy. It flows against the grain. It loves when people are yelling at us. We have patience when no one else around us does. And we serve when everyone says, you're foolish for doing that. But we know that we have the greater victory in Jesus. That the things of this world that moth and rust destroy, that this world calls treasures, they're not treasures. They're tools that God has given us to reflect his glory into this world. And as long as we continue to think about it as financial gain, material wealth, higher status, we'll continue to hold on and live that prideful, selfish life that we are depraved into, that we, that we naturally live out. But when we think of them as tools given to us by God the Father and are called to act selflessly, to utilize them, to reflect his love and his selfless mercy and grace into this world, things change. The way we act changes. You see, the world tells us that it's not worth it. That those people that we're trying to help or those, those, um, those less fortunate that we're trying to spend all our time with, we're not going get, to get any gain from that. It's not worth it. There's no more financial wealth from that. There's no more material gaining from that. There's no status there. So don't do it. It's not worth your time. But we are called to sacrifice the same way God the Son sacrificed. He stepped down off a throne, and in selfless obedience to God the Father, he walked up Calvary's hill. We are called to live sacrificially, selflessly. Jesus' words, right? If you want to be my disciple, you must do what? Deny yourself. Do you hear it? Take up your cross daily and follow me. And he will lead us into selfless obedience, trials of selfless obedience, so that we grow our faith. The world is gonna tell us that we're fools. Jesus is gonna say, you're saved by grace through faith. I know what's best for you. Come follow me in selfless obedience and I'll lead you into that trial of faith. You'll grow your faith and eternally you will spend time with me. You call me Lord now. Not when you have no choice. 
It's when we obediently submit to his will for our life, when we obediently live out his lordship in our life that we properly reflect his selflessness into his world. See, you and I, we think of humility in terms of what it looks like to each other. Right? Well, that's a humble guy. Look what he did for that person. Well, he's always, or she's always putting other people first. That's not the way Jesus looked at it, I don't think. I don't think he cared one bit what the 24 elders thought. I don't think he cared what those beings thought. I don't think he cared about the myriads and myriads of angels and thousands of thousands singing his praise. What he cared about was his obedience to God the Father. See, Jesus showed us that selflessness is how we are obedient towards God the Father. The world says, it's this way. And Jesus says, no. It's about my selfless obedience to God. That is my selflessness and is displayed in his willing submission to do exactly what God the Father and he had foreordained to be done. The world says it isn't worth it. Is the world right? Do we get our truth in the opinions of others? Or do we get our truth from the holy written word of the Father? John kept going in the next chapter of Revelations and he says this. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, brothers and sisters, that's us, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. You see, Jesus was exalted for his selflessness and he's seated on the throne. First Peter says this in the fifth chapter, The last of verse 5 and the first of verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Jesus was exalted for his selflessness. You and I also will be exalted in God's proper time if we too act selflessly and put him first. The world says it isn't worth it. The word says nothing's worth more. Is he Lord of your life? Does our life reflect his selflessness into this world? Or do we choose to seek after the treasures that moth and rust destroy?
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow on heaven, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. As they're coming up, don't check out. Don't check out yet. That word Lord, some other adjectives, supreme one, sovereign, ruler, master. Is he Lord of your life? I want you to do something this morning. Grab a pen, open your journals, write in your Bible, put a note on your phone, whatever it is. How is it that God, the Lord, is asking you to be selfless? Write it down. Type it into your phone. That was the easy part. Now I'm going to challenge you to go do that this week. Put your money where your mouth is. One more step. And here's the part you're really not going to like. After you do it, I want you to go share the experience with somebody else. And I know what you're thinking. Well, the Bible says I'm supposed to be humble and not brag about what I've done. Guys, selflessness is a divine attribute. It's not what you've done. It's what Christ has done through you. The treasures that you give and they're your tools to reflect his selflessness and his glory into the world. After you've acted selflessly and when you're sharing with your brother or your sister or your neighbor, when you say, this is the opportunity that God gave me this week. This is the call that he put on my life. This is the, these are the resources that he allowed me to have so that I could share his selflessness with the others in the world. This is a conversation that I was allowed to have, that Jesus is my savior and I give everything to him. Brothers and sisters, that is not about you. So don't think sharing your experiences about someone else. That is about Jesus, the one whose name is above every name. The one unto whom each knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please help us. We don't do this well. Help us to consider others more significant than ourselves. For you are Lord forever and ever. Amen.